This is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 238 of Lean Blog Audio. This is a post from today, October 30th, 2017, titled Highlights from a Great Book, The Leader's Handbook. Now, as we get into Lean Startup Week, bear with me, please, as I continue uh, the heavy focus on the theme of my talk on Friday titled Distinguishing Signal from Noise and Metrics. I hope my posts on this theme have been interesting and helpful. You can find links to all of that, or if it's not interesting or helpful, um, don't go to leanblog.org slash audio 238. The other day, a regular reader of the blog commented on a post, and it made me smile when he wrote the following. I've, I've added links um, to the comment. Um, he wrote, uh, Jim wrote, I'm fairly certain I read Donald Wheeler's book on variation after reading one of your previous blog posts. It has helped me try to focus on when I should react and when I shouldn't overreact. From a leadership aspect, I think process behavior charts helped me understand respect for people better. I realized that I was wasting people's time, so thanks for helping me see this waste. So I was excited to hear him uh, have that uh, reflection because the main point I'm going to make on Friday is that better understanding variation means wasting less time chasing noise in our metrics and looking for uh, a simple root cause that probably doesn't exist. We'll waste less time doing that. And it's not just about leaders wasting their own time, but leaders creating a lot of wasted time and motion amongst their employees when those employees react to the leader saying or asking, why was that day bad when it was just common cause variation or noise? Jim mentioned respect in his comment. I, you know, I think this whole topic ties into the idea of respect for people, as Toyota puts it. In my talk, I build on this question of Eric Reese's from his first book, The Lean Startup, where he asks, if we stopped wasting people's time, what would they do with it? If we don't encourage people to waste time chasing noise, they can instead spend time on improving the system. Um, I uh, also link to a blog post that touches on what you should do when faced with the system that's not performing as well as you'd like, and there's nothing but noise in the metric. You know, improving a system that's stable and predictable requires more systematic, less reactive methods to understand and improve the system. So let's talk about Peter Schultes's book, The Leader's Handbook. You know, I've been going through, uh, going back through this book by the late Peter Schultes. Um, again, it's titled The Leader's Handbook: Making Things Happen, Getting Things Done. His work builds upon the legendary W. Edwards Deming and Russell Acoff, among others. I often quote Schultes, and it's something also attributed to Peter Senge and others, as saying, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And I think that's very insightful. And, and that thought, when I first really ran across it um, in Schultes's work, has led me to study um, deeper, um, deeper, taking deeper dives into topics like change management, motivational interviewing, and, and other things. And it turns out that having the right answer and pushing it on others isn't the best strategy for affecting sustainable change. I had to learn those lessons the hard way, and uh, I'm still learning. Now, in the late Russell Acoff's foreword, he calls Schultes an educator, not a guru. He, uh, Acoff says, a guru is one who develops a doctrine and seeks disciples who accept and transmit it without modification. No deviation is acceptable. Any modification is a sign of disloyalty, in fact, heresy. Its consequence is excommunication. Educators, on the other hand, encourage and even try to inspire progressive deviations from what they have said. 
Their objective is not to remove the need for further learning, as is the gurus, but to initiate it, to provide a springboard from which their students can dive into their own minds, discover what is there, and develop it. And uh, Akoff uh, also writes, and he has a way with words, um, the number of management gurus is increasing at an alarming rate. We do not yet have one guru per manager, but we are rapidly approaching that number. The ultimate success of a guru is to produce the fad of the week, becoming number one on the managerial hit parade. Successful or not, gurus preach panaceas, the validity of which they pretend to have received directly from the great manager in the sky who actually resides in the mind of the gurus. So I think it's interesting, you know, he uses some of these terms here. Um, Akoff uses the term excommunication and um, reference to God. And uh, it's interesting that Schultes was a priest before becoming a management consultant in the 1980s. Um, if you go again to the blog post, leanblog.org slash audio 238, there's a link to a blog post with Akoff talking about systems. So in Schultes's introduction to the book, he writes about fads. He, he starts the book by saying, in America and Europe, we have an almost insatiable appetite for fads. We seem more interested in what is new than in what is good. Consequently, we have a disposable mentality. If what we have doesn't seem to work, we throw it out and find something new. This obviously applies to fashion and music. Unfortunately, it also seems to apply to relationships such as spouses and employees. We live in a time of the management philosophy du jour. People often ask me if lean is a fad in healthcare. Well, I usually reply that it's only a fad in organizations that are susceptible to fads. You know, it seems you're at a point with lean in healthcare where it's no longer the new thing. It's something that's now being thrown away by an increasing number of healthcare organizations. It's, it's really sad to see. I'm not sure what something new they're moving on to other than cost cutting, which is hardly a new approach. You have some or many Healthcare leaders given up on lean because it's difficult, because have they given up on it because it seems not to work for them? You know, Schultes was working in the era of total quality management or TQM, and he wrote, to some, the approach to management described in this book may seem vaguely familiar enough that a manager may conclude, been there, done that. The quality movements from about 1982 through about 1992 used some of these notions. But by and large, the teachers of TQM didn't understand the philosophy in the first place and trivialized it in the second place. TQM, I repeat, is the trivialization of an important new way of thinking. Hmm. So those are pointed comments. Uh, I hope I haven't been guilty of trivializing lean or its philosophy. I often hear healthcare leaders, when introduced to the idea of lean, say things like Schultes said there, oh, we've been doing lean a long time, we just don't call it that. That statement usually turns out not to be true, um, at least in my assessment. And I think there are a lot of parallels between TQM and lean and, and their evolution and why people say they fail. I wrote about that in a blog post that I've linked to here today. But back to Schultes, who also has away with words when talking about the need to improve systems instead of adding different fads like employee empowerment and continuous improvement on top of a broken system. Schultes wrote, all of the empowered, motivated, teamed up, self-directed, incentivized, accountable, re-engineered and reinvented people you can muster cannot compensate for a dysfunctional system. When the system is functioning well, these other things are all just fufura. When the system is not functioning well, these things are still only empty, meaningless twaddle. 
Now, I hope I am pronouncing the words fufara and twaddle correctly. Those are not words I normally use. But Schulte says, of course, that, quote, the system is the method by which you achieve results. He wrote, he continued, the failure to achieve desired results is caused by the inadequacy of the method or system. Without conscious attention to systems, we will focus on people. That is what we have been trained to do. Rather than understanding and improving our systems, we seek better results by exhorting and seeking to motivate our people. When we don't understand systems, we equate improving our people with improving our systems. People are not the same as organizational systems. They work in systems, but the systems existed before most of the people were hired and will continue after the current employees are gone. Improving systems takes a concerted, well-planned, usually cross-functional effort led from the top of the organization. When a system is changed, people need to change what they do. However, changing what people do will not necessarily change the system. So now I would ask, how many of the quote-unquote failed lean healthcare initiatives haven't led to results because leaders or consultants were changing what people did and enforcing change instead of focusing on the system, which is more the domain and responsibility of executives. Now, Schultes in the book tells an amazing story that goes to show how top-down command and control approaches can fail and backfire. He titles this uh, aside in the book, the I am not making this up department. And I had to read this story a couple times to really get it. So I hope this comes through well in my reading of it. The market for a particular type of paper had gone soft because of the recession. The paper company headquarters sent word to the plant manager that inventories for this product were too high. Therefore, the machines making this product should be slowed down. I'll add as an aside, that makes sense. Uh, Slowing down the machine should lead to less production and less inventory. The plant manager tried to protest, but in the autocratic style of this company, he was told to just follow instructions. When the plant ma- what the plant manager knew was that when this machine ran too fast, it produced many defects in the paper, and the product had to be scrapped or broke, as they say in the paper industry. This machine was running too fast. In better times, when demand was high, the orders to the plant manager were to speed up the machine, which the plant manager also tried unsuccessfully to protest. I'm guessing that speeding up the machine, this is my aside here, that speeding up the machine increased defects and actually reduced output. So obeying orders, the plant manager slowed the machine. This in turn, were in the, and in the, after this most recent directive. This in turn resulted in fewer defects and greater productivity, more paper that couldn't be sold, bigger inventories, and even fuller warehouses. The plant manager, he was fired for disobeying orders. This is an example of the tragic consequence of the ignorance of systems on the part of headquarters' managers. So the last excerpt I'll share uh, from that section of Schultes' book is packed, you know, it's packed so full of so much wisdom um, Uh, bring it back to a point I'll make on Friday. Um, The need to react differently to common cause variation or noise, then we react to special cause variation or signal. How should managers respond to problems? It depends whether the problem comes from common cause variation or special cause variation. Without carefully gathered and skillfully analyzed data, the manager won't know what kind of variation he or she is dealing with. If the problem results from common cause variation, and most do, 
then getting rid of the problem will involve changing the system, process, or method of work. If the problem derives from the special cause of variation, then the manager must use data to seek out the cause of the problem and eliminate that problem at its point of origin. So I would add as an aside here that the way we can tell the difference between common cause variation and special cause variation is a relatively simple and practical method called process behavior charts. Now I added with a note, I scribbled it in the margins, you know, Schultz talks about um, a negative point of, you know, that, that special cause variation in our process behavior chart where that indicates a problem to be eliminated. But there's also the possibility of good variation in the positive direction. And if that's the case, you know, we want to try to lock in that new system and new performance as a new standard. Um, we should still ask why and look for the cause so we can make sure we understand the system. So in my talk on Friday, I hope to give a contemporary version of a talk that stands on the shoulders of these greats. I hope you'll check out Schultes' book. If you're familiar with his work, I'd love to hear what you think in the comments. Again, you can find that at leanblog.org audio 238.